Richardson. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello and welcome back to That Sums It All Up with me, Alfie Steiner. With me today, it's been far too long, it's Johnny Rosen. Johnny, how are we? I'm good, I'm good. Just um, getting acquainted as you're well aware of with my new mic. So apologies for any audio mishaps throughout this recording, but it should sound a lot smoother from here on out. Now we're both mic'd up uh, properly and no longer using our laptop mics. But other than that, good, busy working. I was in I was in New York last week yeah. for a vacation, which was nice. I used to live in Washington, D.C. for a short while and haven't been able to get back since COVID, having left in March 2020. So it was quite nostalgic catching up with some old friends who I've not seen for two years. Had a great time. And I think my general mood has has been permanently lifted over the last few months because of the Arsenal results as well, which we'll get on to. But, you know, a rich vein of form. Currently, the the informed team, not just in the Premier League, but in the whole of Europe, I think you'll find uh, in the top five leagues sitting top of the, the European form table over the last 10 games. So I've been doing pretty well. How about you? Yeah, I've been well. It's 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 a busy time of the year coming up to the end of my fourth and final year of university. So, you know, the work, the workload is, is, uh, is intense and hence the, the relative lack of activity on the, that sums it all up front, but, you know, glad to be recording a show with you today. And yeah, no, I've been well, I, I like you. I managed to get a little vacation in. Um, I was in Paris for a few days which was very nice, actually. I know. I know very nice. You're a big very fan. Nice. You're a big fan of Paris. Uh, C'était magnifique. Yes. Oui, oui. And um, yeah, I've I've just been sort of grinding down with work and watching Arsenal and enjoying it very much. And that's kind of it, really. Um, but look, let's um, let's get into the discussion just before we do, because we don't have loads of time today, and and hopefully we'll be able to do another show. Uh, soon but you know there's been a lot going on in the world recently and there's there's only so much that our words can do but I think it would be remiss of us not to mention you know what's going on in Ukraine and and we send our thoughts and prayers out to everyone um, in that country who are fighting for you know their lives and against uh, Russian forces and you know they're, they're at war so I think everyone let's just continue to have them in our in our thoughts and spread any important messages and donate to charitable foundations and just do everything you can as little as it might seem you are able to do um because you know we're we're sort of in a very well not we they are in a, in a really horrible spot so i don't know if there's anything quickly you wanted to add on that before we get into discussing the sort of trivialities of arsenal um but go for it no, I just echo echo your words and, and sending thoughts and, and prayers to everyone in Ukraine. It's, it's really terrible. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's uh, that's a good way or an important way to start the show. Um, mm. Look, 
Arsenal wise, let, let's let's kind of focus on 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 what we're supposedly well qualified to talk about. We've not actually not spoken since Arsenal drew nil nil to Burnley. Um, this was in January, which is kind of crazy. Mm. Since then, there's only been four games because we haven't been playing too much. There's been an international no, there hasn't been an international break. Maybe there has no winter break or something like that. Um, there, there was a winter break. There was a winter break, and then we obviously aren't in any other competitions because we got knocked out of them in January and we weren't qualified for European football this year. So there's only been four games, but we've won the last four. So we won four on the bounce. Um, February saw us win against Wolves twice and Brentford, and then we started March in the right way. We beat Watford 3-2. Um just before I, we're going to start with the Watford game, I think. But, you know, as things stand, Arsenal sitting pretty in fourth in the table. We've got 48 points from 25 games. Um, we're a point clear of United with three games in hand. Um, West Ham, we're also three points clear and we've got three games in hand. And then Spurs, we've got three, one game in hand, three points clear. So we're, we're sort of sitting in pole position at the moment. Um yeah, well, well, what's your what's characterised your your last month of sort of Arsenal watching? Because um, it's been pretty great, hasn't it? Yeah, like the results have been great. The performances have also been pretty good. But I would not. I don't like to think we're in pole position. I try and put that burden on on either Spurs or United just to take mm. some of the the existential pressure off of us. But it's been it's been brilliant. Four wins. The Wolves wins were probably, I don't know, all wins are enjoyable, but those two Wolves wins, especially the one at the Emirates, were were really, really um, gratifying. Especially because they, you know, they're right, they were right on our tails. They were sort of going to be the late runner in, in the hunt for fourth. And they've sort of tailed off now, lost to Palace, lost to West Ham as well. But but when we went to Molyneux, they they could have gone above us had they beaten us. And I th- think the same, actually, when they came to the Emirates, they would have gone above us, albeit we would have had a game in hand, but they had they won. Um, and also to overcome some sort of adversity in both games, be that going behind at the Emirates to quite to a pretty stupid goal, you know, gifted them, gifted them that lead. Uh, and then obviously at Molyneux, we <coughs> we we went down to ten men. And I think we'll all agree that it was pretty unfair and uh, outrageous the way that Martinelli was sent off so quickly, um, sort of in the space of one play. Um, but so it shows, you know, the strength within the squad, the character that, that exists, the mentality, we're not folding under, under adversity or under, under pressure. And, and so in more than just the three points we took, we, we've taken a lot from those two wins. Uh, the Wolves and Brentford games were obviously very positive. For other reasons, I think the way we controlled the Wolves game was unlike anything we've seen so far this season. I know they scored in the 92nd and 93rd minute, but I was actually at that Brentford game and um, and it was it was sort of cruise control from minute one. It, was, it should have been three, four or five had our finishing been a bit better, but look three points are three points and the and the Watford game was was a bit 
concerning on the defensive side, but some of those goals and some of that attacking player movement with Odegaard, Saka and Martinelli, and, and Lacazette as well, um, seven assists in nine Premier League games now for him, should, shouldn't be under, understated or, or, or ignored because of a few defensive mishaps because those goals were pretty outstanding and probably the best goals we've scored in a, in a game so far this season. So look, all in all, we'll get, I'll, get, I'll get to your thoughts, but you know, it was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive and really games that we, we couldn't afford to not win because while we do have three games in hand, and I'm sure we'll get onto this, our three games in hand are Liverpool at home, Chelsea away, Spurs away. And I think we'll be lucky or do well, I should say, to take four points from those three games. So we needed to make these, you know, quote unquote, easier games count so we can afford to probably drop points in our games in hand. And those are my sort of initial thoughts. What, what were yours? Well, I, I agree with you, but, you know, largely that's what we've been doing this season. We've been, we've been winning the games that we're expected to win and, and take the points from. And, you know, that's what we've been doing, but we were doing it in such a convincing way of late. Like you, I was, I was kind of blown away by, it was surreal how exceptional those goals were at the weekend. Um, you know, one touch passing, some emphatic finishing. It's not the sort of attacking flair play that we've seen necessarily with this team under Mikel Arteta, but, you know, I'm all for it, even if, you know, we need to tighten up a bit defensively. I think, yeah, like you, I, I don't, I still see us as, as underdogs, to be honest. I mean, you can sort of look at it in two ways on paper and, you know, with points and games in hand, you you know, we are, um, we're in not pole position, but we, we are in some ways the most likely team to finish fourth because we're in fourth at the moment. But at the same time, in terms of our rivals and their experience and their quality and our relative inexperience and, you know, uh, thinner squad and tough games still coming up, you know, that it's still all in the balance, but I think to be in with a shout is, is brilliant at this point. And I've loved watching this team grow after a, a bit of a wobbly January. Although again, I think it was blown so out of proportion just because of, you know, we weren't playing loads of games. We, we lost to city, we drew to Burnley, but then Burnley kind of went on this run temporarily where they were winning and drawing and playing really well. Man City, we obviously know what happened there. Got knocked out of the cup by Liverpool. One of those performances was great, but we were getting men sent off, all all the rest of that. And then, yeah, I, I didn't manage to watch the, the Brentford game, but I watched the highlights. And from what I saw and from what I heard, it was a dominant performance. The Wolves game, look, they were really tough. I mean, they were until they lost twice to us. They sort of tailed off a bit now. Uh, we sort of burst their bubble, but they've been a really excellent consistent side in the Premier League this season they hadn't lost a game I think it was until since 2018 when they'd been ahead um, that was the first time in a long time um, you know not many people have beaten them this year and we beat them twice in in the space of a week and you know they they showed us the they challenged us and, and we overcame those challenges in different ways different challenges presented themselves so I was so super happy with with um you know, the run that we put together and, and obviously that Wolves game was uh, 
yeah, I, I hadn't shouted that loud for for a long time. And I, and honestly, it was it was again so uncharacteristic because I think we'd grown accustomed to, you know, you can't go one now one nil down to Wolves. That's what everyone was saying. You can't go one nil down, and then we did. And Gabriel looked a bit off it, and he you know gave that sloppy ball away, and and we weren't we were we I thought we played quite well, but I was getting frustrated, and certain players weren't you know, doing maybe what you need them to do in that moment. And then the substitutes who we've, again, come to think of as kind of not very effective, uh, Eddie Nketiah and Nicola Pepe came on and, and made the difference and kind of, um, you know, alongside Martin Erdegaard and Ben White and Thomas Party in that game, I thought, who were all exceptional, um, you know, we managed to get the win and what what scenes those were um even in my living room in edinburgh and wherever you were what i think you were you were out at dinner or something i hope you managed to catch some of it but i wasn't watching it you I weren't watching, watching it, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i was so, at dinner i went nuts in the restaurant though when I, when well both to both goals but yeah. definitely lacazette's I yeah was, i can't I, I had a few tables turn around um, when they heard me sort of yell, get in. Um, quite right. <laughs> at about 9.30pm on a, on a Thursday night in, in quite a fairly nice restaurant in central London. Yeah. But Arsenal's more important. Indeed, indeed. But we, so we did that and then we went to Watford and look, let's let's talk a bit about that win because that, that was at the weekend and that's the most recent kind of Arsenal uh, talking point, I suppose. I mean, yeah, the goals were brilliant. Martin Odegaard's I especially liked. Um, well, I liked all of them, to be honest. But Martin Odegaard, that interplay with Bukayo Saka down the sort of inside right channel um, and the finish was just divine. How did you see Odegaard's role, you know, in that first half and and just his performance in general before we get on to another of the, the sort of star men of that performance? <laughs> I guess I, I saw Odegaard's performance in in the Watford game pretty similar to how it was in the Brentford game and, and, and most of the recent Arsenal matches. He's he's really come into his own and he went from sort of dominating spells in games, 15-minute spells to the dominating halves and, and now he's sort of doing it across 90 minutes nearly um, and just sort of goes to show... Firstly, how pleased I am we didn't sign James Madison. But mm-hmm. secondly, what what a fantastic talent we've got from a technical standpoint on our hands. He he is not what he does on the ball necessarily, which is very good, but it's also his off-the-ball pressing, closing down of space, cutting off passing angles. You know, quite often he presses the centre backs ahead of Lacazette and Lacazette sort of drops back into that. Um half space or, or that 10 position and fills in for him just because Odegaard's got the legs and he's got got maybe not more determination because I don't think Lacazette doesn't want to be doing it but he doesn't have the stamina that Odegaard has on the ball and we saw it for his goal he's he's just breathtaking that sort of half turn back heel to Saka who then obviously beats his man as Saka does and lays on a plate for Erdegaard, but it's a fantastic finish. I don't know about you, but I I wasn't sort of thinking when he was in that box, uh, he's going to miss or a shot could be saved. It wasn't particularly powerful, but the finesse and, and the sort of curl-ish on, on, on the shot, he, he just passed it 
but sort of curled it into the bottom corner and and was was never fearful that he would mess that up or he'd blast it into Rosehead or or overcomplicate the finish. It was it was really fantastic and capped off you know, one of his best games probably for us. It was on Isaac who got man of the match on on Sky. I think he was probably unlucky not to get man of the match at Odegaard because he really controlled the tempo, dictated the tempo of that whole game from start to finish uh, or, or until he, uh, he, I think he came off. So until he came off, yeah, he did come off for holding. Um, but what, what were your thoughts and, and more generally, what have your thoughts been on his performances? He, he He's composure and, and confidence personified at the moment. I think mm. you can see that he's really, and, and you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of interviews and sort of media attention on on Martin Erdegaard with Arteta and with him in the Norwegian press. And it's clear that he's relishing this role in the team, this leadership role. You know, he's settled, he's made to feel important, he's playing well. And you can see it, you know, when he when he was sort of stroking that ball into the into the bottom left-hand corner, it was just a man, a footballer, so supremely confident in his abilities. He's playing. He's enjoying playing for Arsenal. He's enjoying kind of leading and orchestrating these young players around him. I know other players are doing that job too, but, you know, he is that creative fulcrum of the team. And he, that technical assurance that you were talking about, like it's, we haven't had that. I mean, you know, we obviously had Meza Ozil and and he did a, a large part of that, but, you know, we, we've sorely missed that kind of consistent, um, reliable kind of technical assurance on the ball and who can also back it up with a brilliant sort of physical effort and pre-assists, assists, goal scoring threat. You know, he's, he's, he's uh, disciplined and hardworking and look, I've, I've got a lot of praise for him. And again, it's, it's the summer business to sign him as looking more and more convincing. I don't think there was ever any doubt, you know, he struggled a bit at the beginning of the season, but you know, this is, <sighs> It's kind of his team, you know, in, in terms of him being the superior young player, not superior, sorry, the, the uh, yeah, I guess superior, older young player, oldest younger player in that sort of front area. Um, and he he's a really, I mean, top player. And, and I just, he's one of those players that you just love watching. You love going to see him or watching him on 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 the games and t- on TV and We've again, we've kind of missed that at Arsenal, and that's why we loved so many of the players in the late Wenger era. You think of, you know, Cesc Fabregas and Meza Ozil to an extent, and all these technically gifted players. And and I think honestly, Erdegaard, at, you know, he's twenty three, I think, or something. And and we've we've got him, and he's ours. And I think again, the potential for him to grow and and to add more layers to his game, but the consistency I think is is already there at the moment. He's in a brilliant vein of form. And I think also that connection with Saka on the right-hand side, who we'll get onto now, is really blossoming. And they're really looking to understand each other at the moment. And I think, I mean, it's strange, isn't it, how we've been such a left-orientated, like, attacking side for so long, largely to not that much of an effect. Um, and now the right-hand side looks, looks uh, you know, so dangerous and are sort of, strong side so let's let's transition on to Bukayo Saka um I mean 
is it an understat is it is it going too far to say that he's turning into you know one of these one of the best players in in the league if not in Europe um given his age because he I don't know again as Arsenal fans we watch him week in week out and I know he's still young and you know everyone can get carried away but he is something else is he not I mean I don't think it is it is an overstatement to say that because his consistent ability to time on time again beat his fullback I, I've not seen anything like that for, for quite a while I mean against Watford he gave and that left back he's not a bad left back I've watched quite a bit of Watford over the last few months and Hassan Kamara I think it is they signed him from Nice he was pretty well rated in Liga um, he's much better than who they had before, which was Danny Rose. <laughs> and um, and I've, I've watched them. I watched them play Watford. They played, who was it? Maybe it was Brighton or someone. They drew nil-nil. He had a very good game, the left-back. And I thought could be an interesting test for, for Saka. He's new to the league. He's not going to be scared of a younger kid, right? Um, and Saka just destroyed him. And there was there was a photo that you, the, the Sky Sports coverage sort of cut to cut to camera at about 85 minutes with his hands on his knees, panting, like he'd really been given the run around. Mm. And he, we've seen, you know, Saka and Martinelli on the opposite wing really give fullbacks a tough time. But the consistency that Saka does it, the reliability that I think he has, which is probably why him and Odegaard have formed such a good partnership because Odegaard's very clever. He's got a very good footballing brain and he's not going to, just trust anyone with the ball and his passes quite often. He'll, I think, you know, we've seen him and Party Party interlink quite a lot. Again, that's because Party's a very reliable footballer most of the time. And um, and I think he, what he's now starting to recognise over this season is that despite Saka only being 20 years old, he's years and years ahead of him, his age when it comes to his footballing ability and his, his football brain. And he's almost probably earned Erdegaard's respect and admiration. And now we're seeing the benefits of that because they're linking up almost reminiscent of, of Ozil and, and Alexis's link up in the sort of 2015 to 2017 period. 20, yeah, 2016 to 2016, maybe. But um, yeah, he... I don't watch enough of the other European leagues to say comfortably that he's the best under 21 mm. player in Europe right now because Ansu Fati is very good and Florian Wirtz uh, is very good in the Bundesliga and Erling Haaland. But, um, but I, I would quite confidently say that this season in the Premier League, you can't lay a glove on him if you're another under 21 player. And the closest player to him would be Emil Smith-Rowe. But if you're a Foden or Greenwood before everything happened, or or Curtis Jones or one of these players, there, I, I even think Foden's now quite significantly behind behind Saka, especially when it comes to the England pecking order. Mm. So I, I'm incredibly enthused by him. My biggest worry is his contract situation, which we can we can save for a later podcast because. I'm probably being overly uh, anxious when it comes to his contract. But if it doesn't get tied down this summer, I think we'll all be in the boat that I'm currently in. 
having said that, for Saka and, and not to miss out Smith Rowe and Martinelli, who we might touch on a bit in a bit more detail, but it's really been a it's been a coming of age season for for the three of them and and Erdegaard, who is slightly older, but he hasn't been given a leadership role. He has been playing men's football since the age of sixteen, but other than a sort of four month loan spell or period during his loan spell at Rose Sociedad before he got injured, he's not really been given the reins of the team from a creative standpoint until until this season because he wasn't really given it while he was on loan at Arsenal last season. So it's been it's been a coming in it coming of age season really for the four of them. And the the hope is is that we we sort of bear the fruits of it for, for seasons to come. Yeah, I think we are and and the most enjoyable aspects of it is that we are watching someone like Bakayo Saka take his game to a different level. We are watching him again filled with confidence filled with threat filled with ability and his consistency with which again like you say he beats the fullback he assists he he sets up goals he's adding goals to his game some of his finishes recently have been exceptional um you know hitting them with power and accuracy and precision and explosive kind of um finishing which is something that I, I know that he was famed for in, in the youth setup, but we maybe haven't seen so much of it um, since he's broken into the first team. But we are seeing him really turn into this complete player. And like you say, he's only 20 and it looks as if he's handling the pressure. But I also think that we've created an environment in which, you know, he can thrive. And I think Mikel Arteta and and, and the, the people in charge of sort of orchestrating this team's... Um, composition you know deserve a lot of credit but also this was the thing this was this was what we needed to ensure that this young generation of talent coming through are supported to the to the maximum and given given everything that they need to thrive and to grow and to build and we're seeing it in front of our eyes and it's such a satisfying kind of heartwarming thing um you know it just makes you it makes me smile and sort of go a bit giddy when you think about the fact that he is an Arsenal player who has come through our academy, he's 20 years old and he's sort of, you know, you know, taking us to another level. Um, yeah, it's exceptional. And I, and I love the work that Saka's doing. I mean, his finish was, was out of this world. And, you know, the, again, the reliability and the dependency for him to create and provide threat on that right-hand side is, um, is brilliant. And, you know, the stats, the stats don't lie. And he is, in terms of attacking threat, the best best under-21 player in the Premier League at the moment. Um, you know, Smith-Rowe is not far behind him. I think Phil Foden's a, a different sort of case because he plays a different kind of role for Pep Guardiola and, you know, not many sort of under-21 players could play that sort of false nine uh, role maybe as well as Foden does. But I think, you know, Saka, in terms of his, his character and his already kind of importance to Arsenal and the mark that he's already made on, on the international stage I think you know he is a a player for the next decade hopefully for for Arsenal and for England in terms of the contract I'm not too worried he looks like he's loving it he's an Arsenal man as long as we're you know qualifying for European football and you know we're sort of moving in the right direction I think this is an embodiment and a and a demonstration that we are and I think that's why the feeling's so good at the moment between us fans and the players and the, and the manager it's all as we were talking about for so long you know the 
the the components are aligning and we've we're really reaping the rewards of that and we'll continue to do hopefully in terms of material achievement whether we're there or ready for that yet remains to be seen but yeah Saka I mean could wax a lyrical about him all day um another player who who played very well I thought in the Watford game and and has sort of again come into his own or found himself over the last couple of months has been Thomas Partey um the octopus the octopus and he's he's really solidified his role as that kind of uh the 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 central midfielder at the base of our midfield we've sort of transitioned to a bit of a change of shape with Granit Xhaka pushing up in the left eight position which doesn't suit him but I think he's doing an all right job there and I think it allows for Thomas Partey to to sort of dominate proceedings in the middle um what would is there anything that you'd like to add on Thomas Partey because I think his presence in the team alongside Xhaka I think who as we've talked about before does help him out he he provides that platform for these players um and I think he's doing a really good job and sort of what we hoped for yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think party last four games has been been outstanding. And I think what him playing so well in that number six role on that, that it's not really a deep line because he does it's more he's more box to box than a deep line midfielder. But um but that sort of furthest most offensive role out of our midfield three of let's say him, Jacques and Erdegaard, what it does allow is Xhaka to play in that, in that left eight space, which is not his natural role at all. But he's doing it fairly competently, perhaps more than competently at the moment. And the, those two players are so integral to, to our both offensive and defensive structures that actually having Xhaka in a slightly more advanced role means that we can build up play from a more advanced starting position because quite often... From a tactical perspective, um, Xhaka is our, or was prior to Erdegaard, definitely our sort of technical leader. And our offensive moves and our building of play would, would start from him. And if he was positioned slightly inside our half, then we'd have to build up play over a 60-yard um, sort of space, like on the pitch. Whereas if he's now creeping into the offensive third we're able to build up play quickly and from a more sort of attacking starting point but I don't think Jack is ever able to actually have that starting point if party isn't doing his job effectively which he is doing so in a way it's having quite a lot of positive uh, knock-on effects on other members of the team him personally you know we know he sort of now famously ranked himself four out of 10 for his start at Arsenal, which I think was was very harsh anyway, because I thought, you know, when he wasn't injured last season, he was pretty good. Um, but he's now performing eight, eight and a half, nine out of 10 in my book most, most weeks. He's proving to be, it's going very much under the radar from the non-Arsenal related press, but He's, he's quite clearly proving to be one of the best central midfielders in the league. The way he turns in tight spaces, the way he pivots, the way he sort of is a big guy, but the way he manipulates his body um, with like the odd feint or the drop of the shoulder uh, or disguises his passes. It, it's really incredible. And 
not not something we've had in an Arsenal team for for really quite some time. I I can't remember the last central midfielder we had who who did or is doing what what Partey's currently doing in an Arsenal central midfield. So I'm really positive. He is obviously just one player of the month for February, which I think shows just how well received he's been because obviously in February we won three games. I think you could have made an argument for Saka or for Smith Rowe or or Erdegaard being player of the month last month. And the fact that Partey's taken ahead of them uh, on a vote by the Arsenal fans just shows now how positively he's being received by the fan base. Um, look, long may mm-hmm. continue. I think as long as he stays injury free, we why why would his form drop too much? So I'm very positive. What, what about you? Yeah, I mean he, he looks fitter. He looks more confident. He looks settled. He's grown into his role. I think, um, yeah, it's just again, that is kind of going under the radar, but that's kind of what you want in a way. You you know, we've seen so so many times where, you know, a, a well-established player or someone who comes in for a big transfer fee gets quite a lot of pressure put on him. And even, to be honest, when he hasn't been playing so well, I think just by his nature and the type of player he is, he hasn't been kind of, you know, completely written off. And I think, again, playing in a system that suits his strengths and the players around him, doing well as well um I think he's doing a really good job and like you say long may it continue I think we saw that performance against Manchester City which was such a shame it didn't end in a in a win because he was you know uh he was so so dominant in that game against Manchester City's midfield composing of Rodri Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva and he and he won the midfield battle and I think that was a sign to come and and he's he's really showing the importance of having that kind of experience, athleticism, technical security and ability to kind of play passes in between the lines and break break through um, into that attacking third. I mean, I think I was listening to um, the Stadio podcast uh, the other day and they were they were they were talking about a potential midfield partnership of Thomas Partey and uh, Santi Cazorla of 2016 or something like that. And could you imagine? I mean, honestly, like uh, Thomas Partey, he's obviously a very different build and and type of player to Santi Cazorla. But, you know, we probably haven't had a player who can swivel like that. You know, he does some of what I think Cazorla did in terms of when he played in that central midfield role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's a very different player. But I think that's so important for that transition to to link up the the defensive third and the attacking third. And we're seeing... You know, we're stronger in middle areas, which we've been, you know, so vulnerable in for over the last, well, I don't even know how long, five, ten years. And we look a lot more solid because of him, because of the guys behind him and Gabriel and Ben White, but also Erdegaard, who sort of is central and and drifts in and out. But I think also with Lacazette in front of him. Um, so I think we should we should definitely touch on Lacazette's con- contributions because he's not been contributing in terms of scoring goals, but like you mentioned, seven assists in his last nine. He is, you know, letting the other people around him flourish and, and thrive. And so I think he is making a big contribution at the moment, and I don't think it should go un- unnoticed or underappreciated. No, I, I agree. You're a member uh, on a pod we recorded a while back, I, I quite clearly said that if we had to keep one of Aubameyang and Ketia and Lacazette, 
for for next season I was firmly in the Lacazette camp and I think now that's less of a controversial statement than it might have been two or three months ago when when I said that and that's just because obviously the leadership role he's he's quite clearly relishing being captain you can see he's giving everything on the pitch but he is performing a very niche role a very specific role in this team and he's doing it well and I don't know if he's performing it out of choice or out of limitation insofar as that if he was naturally a 25 30 goal a season striker then perhaps he wouldn't be tasked with the role of dropping deep and linking play and assisting and he might be told more just to focus on keeping in the in the penalty box and putting away chances but but he's not that striker and he's not a goal scorer at the moment he's very much creator We've not had a player since Meza Ozil in 2016 assist seven Premier League goals in his last nine Premier League assists. So it shows you the level at which he is now creating. And I guess, look, the difference is, and why it probably goes under the radar, in my opinion, is that the, he's not playing sort of defence-splitting passes uh, you know, in between a full-back and a centre-back or in between two centre-backs. He's not really playing that you know one twos round the corners like Giroud would do what he's doing is he's just getting the ball bringing it down and setting it off to either Saka or or Martinelli or or sort of Smith Rowe when Smith Rowe's on the pitch or he like he did in the Wolves game he's getting in and down where it hurts ahead of defenders ahead of opposition goalkeepers and just getting you know little touches nicking the ball away from Jose Sar running out of his his net to claim a corner, or, or, or it was a Ben White header, which then gets the ball to Gabriel and it gets poked in and it's it's very scrappy and it's not necessarily pleasing on the eye, but an assist an assist and you know someone's got to do that job because we don't have that focal point up front that we probably will hopefully have next season and it's I I I've really definitely got a lot more respect for Lacazette than I did maybe a year ago at this mm. point in time. And I just think the way he's carried himself, also with the stuff going on off the pitch, Aubameyang and him had a notoriously close relationship and he's not let that affect him. And by all accounts, he's a very good role model to the younger pros. I would really be looking to keep him for next season, but it looks increasingly less likely that he will stay. Um, maybe that changes if we do finish in the top four because then he has the chance to play Champions League foot with Arsenal, which he's never done before. But um, but yeah, I, you know, really real credit to, to Arteta, to the system and, and to where we're trying to go. It's really my thoughts. Yeah, I think Lacazette, you know, I kind of forgot, you know, you can say seven, seven assists in his last nine, but you forget that he set up that winner against Wolves for Gabriel to score the winning goal. You forget that, you know, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it as a goal um, for the, for the winner against Wolves, even though it was a Jose Saron goal. Um, but that, that's technically one of his seven assists. Yeah, no, exactly. And he laid off both the goals on, on the weekend against Watford. He is doing a, a really good job. And look, maybe it's us benefiting from the fact that he's playing for his next contract, whether it's at Arsenal or elsewhere. I think a lot of Arsenal fans would be willing to sort of keep him on depending on if the terms were right, if he was willing to accept a shorter contract with a reduced pay packet. 
I don't know if he'll be able to do that and whether we'd sort of, um, you know, risk, not risk, but but show ourselves to be scarred by recent occurrences of, of signing players into their 30s to big money and and uh, larger periods of time remains to be seen. But look, he's, he's doing really well, I think, at the moment. And look, he should have had a penalty against Watford and he's 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 not far away from a goal i don't think so i'm really pleased with with his effort and his his leadership and the example he sets and you know for all by all accounts he's a brilliant person to have around the training ground and and all the young players love him so i think he is pivotal for the, for the rest of the season and look he's doing all this work now and i think he will get a couple of goals and then you're looking at a kind of player who is doing all that work and then we'll get the occasional goal as well. I think he's, he's close. I think there'll be a penalty soon or there'll be a, you know, a, a break in the box, but even if he doesn't, he's still doing such an important role that it doesn't really matter to me. Well, there's also, sorry to just jump in, but there's also no debating that he, he really should have had a few goals. If we look at the last four games, he had a very, very clear one-on-one against Wolves just after mm. Martinelli got sent off. That look, he does the right thing. He he tries to sort of bend it into the far corner. I think maybe seven, seven, eight times out of ten, he puts that chance away. Then against Brentford, he has a goal by the finest of margins ruled out. He's not actually offside. It was Jack who was offside in the build-up to that goal. Then we've obviously got against Wolves at home in the home leg, we can we can term it. Um he he for all intents and purposes scores our winner. You know, it's gone down as a Jose Saru and goal and potentially maybe his shot was off target, but without Lacazette's involvement, that that's never a goal. Um and against Watford, while he didn't have any clear chances, I think he had something like eight or nine shots. Or maybe no, maybe that was against Wolves and not Watford. I'm getting confused. I think Watford he didn't have any clear chances. But you know, you can make an argument that really in different situations on another day, he has three goals from his last four games and four assists. And then you're saying, well, he's got seven goals and assists in four Premier League games. That's right up there with what Kane's doing right now. And he's really red hot now for Spurs, which is rather worrying, but we don't need to talk about it. So I think he's, yeah, luck's not been also kind to him when it's come to his goal scoring this season. And yeah, that, that was just me, me jumping in and, and chatting a bit about he could have had a few goals. No, yeah, that's true. Um, and look, hopefully he gets one soon. Let's let's talk about a few of the other players before we look ahead to next week. Um, so we, I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe has been quite unlucky. He, he returns to the side mm. in the Brentford game, scored a brilliant goal, played well. I thought he was our best player in that Burnley draw back in January as well but he's been struggling with niggling fitness issues. He was then unwell with a stomach bug. Then he got COVID. So it would be good to see him back on the pitch at some point. I'm sure he'll have a part to play over the next couple. Um, you know, Martinelli has quietened down a bit, but he got that brilliant goal against Watford. And I think that would be important for him, but I'm happy with either of them, to be honest. I'd, I'd like to see Smith Rowe out there, I think, um, just with Martinelli having a bit of a quieter time. And... It's great to have those options. You know, uh, Nicola Pepe and Eddie Nketiah have done well from the bench of late. Nketiah hit the post against Watford, but 
you know, both of them were pivotal in, in that Wolves turnaround. Pepe scored an excellent, excellent goal, which not many of, no one else, I don't think, in that Arsenal squad would have scored. And Katia was the first time I'd seen him come on and, and make the kind of impact or showed himself to be sort of a player with threat. He was really taking the game to Wolves. So it's great to see, um, it's great to see those guys sort of showing that they're, they're ready to contribute because we're going to need them. Um, and I think you wanted to, you wanted to shout out a certain Portuguese right back uh, who's been filling in. For Cedric. Takahiro Tomiyasu. Um, yeah, just a few words on Cedric, but also any of those other players um, in terms of the fringe guys who are sort of contributing as well at the moment. Um, oh, I, I agree with everything you've said on on sort of Smith Rowe and, and Pepe and, and Nketiah, I think. I, I like you would probably like to see if everyone's fit. I'd like to see Smith Rowe start the next game. I just think he adds a technical dimension that that Martinelli doesn't. And it's not a criticism to Martinelli. Martinelli's a great, great talent and will be a fantastic footballer and arguably is already. But I just I love the way that Smith Rowe just runs with the ball at pace. And, and and can jink in and jink out, beat a man. It's fairly Robert Perez esque, and um, and also a bit Thomas Rosicki um, esque mm. as well. And I just think I think we're very rarely a worse team when he when he's in it, if ever. To be honest, since since Boxing Day, since he's come in, I can't think of a time where I've been like, oh, get Smith Rowe off. But there's been plenty of times that I've been like, oh, I wish he was on, and. Um, it's crazy to, to what he brings to jump in there. You know, he mm. he's got I think it's ten goals in all competitions or something like that. He's our top league scorer with nine goals, um, and he hasn't even played that much. You know, over the last few months. I mean, it's yeah. it's great to have that kind of you know un that weapon who's not even been around, but you know that he still carries significant goal threat, and I, I'm excited to see him sort of return to form and fitness because. He, he played sort of pretty much every game for us uh, in the first stretch of the season. And then I think maybe fitness issues crept up and illness and stuff. But um, I think he's one that there'll be, he needs to show more and, and I'm sure he will because, you know, he's really, again, had that sort of in part coming of age season or period over the last year or so. So, I mean, they're all doing well, and then Cedric. Look, I think he's done. He's done decently uh, in Tommy Asu's absence. Um, he's added a good bit to our attacking play. He's defended pretty well for most part. I think. Look, if Tommy Asu's fit for the Liverpool game, I wouldn't mind him coming back in. Although I wouldn't rush him because we saw kind of the the struggles that he had in the in the Carabao Cup game when he was rushed back and he had a you know, probably a, the toughest time he's had in an Arsenal shirt. So a few a few words of admiration for Cedric Suarez. No, I think, look, I probably have a higher opinion of Cedric than 99% of Arsenal fans. And partially that's just because we signed him on deadline day. And I always have a soft spot for anyone we sign on a deadline day because, oh. as you know, I, I love transfers. But... But that aside, I, I think both on the pitch and off the pitch, he's he's a fairly important member of of the Arsenal squad. I think he loves being an Arsenal player and there's something to be said for having players who play for Arsenal. And they may not technically be the best player, but they just love playing for the club. We saw, do you remember during the lockdowns and there was always some Arsenal at home content 
and and it was always Cedric because I think any day, a day in the life of Cedric, a day in the life, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and we didn't really want to see that. We wanted to see a day in the life of Saka or Bamyang or whoever, but it was it was Cedric who clearly just wanted to have that Arsenal training kit on at home and film himself walking around his house wearing Arsenal clothes and talking about Arsenal and speaking to the Arsenal fans. Um, and on and on top of that, yeah, he, this, he was the captain of Southampton. He's won the Euros with Portugal. He's a very experienced professional. Played it, played for Inter Milan as well in Syria. Um, he's not like, yeah, he's not a Carl Jenkinson or or even a Callum Chambers when it comes to international pedigree. And so I think he'd add something in the dressing room from a leadership role. He's been there. He's he's won things. You know, he's been in big dressing rooms with big personalities none more so than Cristiano Ronaldo. And so he, I think he must add something off the pitch. And then on the pitch, look, don't get me wrong. I, if, if Tommy Asu is fully fit, I've started him every day of the week. But he's deputised very well in his last four games. I think maybe defensively, Watford wasn't his best game. But, but you know, against Wolves, uh, you know, against very handy wingers like Daniel Pedence and, and, I can't, and Huang, he he sort of did all right in two games against Wolves and and against Brentford, you know the whole team sort of cruised, but mm. he didn't put a foot wrong offensively or defensively. And I just think he's got quite a lot of flack at times, but he's done all right, and we should we should probably acknowledge that because yeah, that's all you can ask for if you're a footballer and you're and you're performing. Yeah, and I think you know as we saw at points last year, a string of games, and he does quite well. And he's not a long-term solution, but he's shown he could fill in. He's professional. He's dedicated. He takes his work seriously. There was a point a few months ago, and I was like, I don't want to see Cedric Suarez in our shirt ever again. Now, you know, I'll, I'll take that back because it was it was that was how I felt at the time. And and now having seen him and and he's filled in and he's done a job, and so it it makes more sense for why maybe Mikel Arteta kept him around knowing that he was going to be second choice because maybe someone like Aisley McDonald's or, you know, Hector Bellerin or Callum Chambers, it, it just wasn't, wouldn't be the same dynamic. So well done to Cedric Suarez. Look, final words. Um, we've got Leicester at the weekend followed by, uh, and uh, not Anfield, Liverpool visiting the Emirates. Where, what, what are we getting from these games? Um, I mean, they're two tough games on paper, to be honest. Leicester. Oh, oh, it's no, that, Jamie, the, no Jamie Vardy. No Jamie Vardy. Both of them at home. I, I forgot that we'd played Leicester away already. I didn't realise that two games at the Emirates, that's going to be great for kind of um, atmosphere, hopefully, and, and mm. momentum building. Uh, I expect to beat Leicester. I think mm-hmm. we should I think we should beat them, even though it's, it's a tough game on paper. I think we should get the three points. Again, I don't want to say that obnoxiously, but look, if we play the way we've been playing recently and Leicester are defensively suspect for the most part, I know they do quite well against us at the Emirates normally, but that's because Jamie Vardy is around. Look, let's, let's put last year's game against Leicester at the Emirates to bed when they beat us one nil and it was inevitable. Jamie Vardy came on, I think as a substitute and then scored in the last 10 minutes or something like that. Um, what, how do you view the Leicester game? No, like you, I think if Vardy was fit, I would have been very worried just because he's got this ridiculous record against us and he always seems to pop up with a goal. No Vardy, their, their current defensive record, our current offensive record, 
our home record over the course of the season as well. I, I expect us to win that game, and mm. anything less than three points will be will be very disappointing um, mm. for the whole club and and us as fans, especially because the, we're playing and, Liverpool yeah, after the Liverpool game follows, and and I think the Leicester game is the last game in what was a run of six games that started with the Burnley game and ended with the Leicester game, where really we should have taken 18 points from 18. If we take 16 from 18, I think we'll all say, look, that's bloody good. And we'll, we'll, we'll sort of move on into our more challenging fixtures. The Liverpool game is, is the more challenging one for obvious reasons. I think... Do I think we'll win? No, I, I would happily, happily take four points from the Leicester and Liverpool game now because Liverpool are flying. I know they lost last night, um, but they're they're still through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and and just the players they have, I don't even want to imagine it. I know that we've been better at the back, and we got a good nil nil at Anfield in the Carabao Cup, but that was without Salah and Mane. Yeah. <laughs> And Luis Diaz. And, and, and Diaz, who's just unbelievable. I watched I watched the Carabao Cup in, in New York, the final, and I just yeah, the way he, he drinks his body as he runs into the box with, with the ball. I just I do hope Tommy Asu is uh is back for, for that game because I don't think Cedric will have a great time against him if he starts. Yeah. And also there's now a bit of unpredictability with him. If Firmino's fit, which he may well be. It used to be, right, we're setting up against Mane on the left, Firmino in the middle who's going to drop in and Salah on the right. You Now you, you're not sure because Jota could come in and Firmino could come out, Diaz could come in, Mane could come out. They've still got the Ox, they've still got Minamino, they've still got Origi. They've got now almost City-like options going forward mm. and it just makes them even more of a formidable uh, opponent. So, look, bite your hand off right now for, for, for a draw preferably a nil-nil and um, and we can we'll take those four points and and say thank you very much and, and hopefully we'll, we would be in fourth with those results at the at, um, at the end of that game week which is is game week 29 so yeah but I'm not confident if you no. can tell by my voice I'm, no. I'm not confident we'll get the draw but but even if we lose three points as long as we as long as we beat Leicester if we beat Leicester we're sort of banking the the potential for a loss against Liverpool in my mind yeah um so a lot a lot hinges on that Leicester game if that Leicester game goes badly we've got a lot of pressure to perform against Liverpool which we may do but we really need to secure those three points and then and then we can sort of be less worried about whether or not we get turned over at home to Liverpool. Yeah, look, I think Leicester, we have high expectations of that game. Liverpool, look, they, they've they've struggled a bit recently. I know they, they should, probably should have scored a couple against Inter Milan yesterday. They narrowly scraped past West Ham. They could have conceded several goals against West Ham. Um, you know, they they played quite well and beat Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final, but again, didn't score. So, you know, they're, they're in a bit of a strange spot. But having said that, the likes of Salah, you know, he's going to turn up at some point. Mane, Luis Diaz looks brilliant. So what I'd like is to see us give it a go and not be turned over in the way that we were in the second half of, la- uh, in the, in the second half of the first game this season and sort of have a Man City-esque performance 
um, hopefully with a different result. But I think we'll give it a go. And I think a win against Leicester would be would be pivotal in that. But look, we shall see. It's exciting. We're in a good moment. And I think let's just enjoy it and, and like the players are. So I think let's leave it there for today. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll be back soon. I think just with life being busy at the moment, you've started a new job. I've got dissertation and work and all of the rest of it. We'll try and fit in a show when we can, but you know, let's let's just focus on on the Arsenal and, and playing well. So, Johnny, thanks as always. It was lovely chatting to you. Uh, thank you, thank you for having me on the pod. It's it's always great. And up the gunners. Look, you can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny Rosen One. Um, football transfer news on Facebook and football transfer news underscore official on Instagram. We're not in transfer season, but look, give it a follow anyway. Quick reminder you can find all the episodes of That Sums It All Up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow the podcast on Twitter at That Sums It All Up and on Instagram as well at That Sums It All Up Pod. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care and we'll be back at some point in the near future. Until next time, take it easy. Goodbye. That sums it all up.